0: The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie.
1: Wednesday morning, the 27th of March. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. This was meant to have been a week of national jubilation. It was meant to be the week when church bells were rung, coins struck, stamps issued and bonfires lit to send beacons of freedom from hilltop to hilltop. This was the Friday when Charles Murray's retainers were meant to be weaving through the moonlit lanes of Sussex, half-blind with scrumpy, singing Brexit shanties at the tops of their voices and beating the head. With staves. This was meant to be the week of Brexit. And what has happened instead? In one of the most protoplasmic displays of invertebracy since the Pre Cambrian epoch. This government has decided not to fulfil the mandate of the people. They have decided not to leave on Friday, March 29th. That's according to Boris Johnson in an article that features on the front of today's Daily Telegraph under the headline The People's Day of Jubilation Hijacked by Spineless Pirates. In it, he goes on to say, we are on the horns of a dilemma. We are between a rock and a hard place the devil and the deep blue sea we have on one side the backstop and on the other the infinite parliamentary delay we have the frying pan labelled Theresa May and the fire consisting of the new triumvirate of Oliver Letwin, Yvette Cooper and Nick Bowles. He goes on then to say that there are many MPs who fall for Brexit and who care about it deeply and who are wrestling with their consciousness, consciences and are frankly utterly furious that it has come to this. He then sets out the choices. Withdrawal agreement he says is something that would leave them skewered. We run the risk of either weakening the union or else being forced to remain effectively part of the single market and customs union, But if we vote it down again, there is now, I think, an appreciable risk that we will not leave at all. Let's talk about this and where we're going over the course of the next 24 hours with Brendan Smith, Fianna Fáil TD, for Kevin Monaghan and Chairperson of uh, the Joint Eroctus Committee on Foreign Affairs. Good morning to you, Brendan Smith. Good morning, Michael. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, That's uh, uh, a fairly... A uh, colourful climb down, it would seem, from Boris Johnson.
2: It is indeed, and the pity Mr Johnson didn't put his skills to, and creative um, talents to informing the people in 2016 and making them aware of what Brexit would mean and the downside to it for Britain, for the European Union, and particularly for our own country, because we're well aware that a campaign of misinformation was fed to the British electorate in advance of that referendum. But we didn't think when mrs may announced 2 years ago that the 29th of march 2019 was brexit day the day britain would leave the european union that we would be here at the 27th of march when a number of options maybe 12 to 15 options are going on a, on ballot papers to be presented to the members of the house of commons more than 600 members and at the moment it looks as if there would be no clear decision mm. so unfortunately It's political chaos in Westminster and then listening to some of the national broadcasters in Britain late last night and early this morning, a lot of it's about raw internal Conservative Party politics about who will succeed, Mrs May who may assume the office of Prime Minister Mm. um, once they can pushing Mrs May out of that particular office. And out of the that, office that seems office. to
1: be the, the deal. The the She'll party. get their support on condition she goes. Uh, but is it such a climb down from Boris Johnson? He seems to be arguing there's a gun to his head.
2: Well, <clears throat> metaphorically, of course, but he, he's the man who, who spoke about mm. how simple it would be for Britain to negotiate trade deals that crossing our, the border, moving from Northern Ireland to, to our state, be the same as crossing one of the city boundaries in London. He displayed a complete lack of knowledge and awareness of the issues that will emerge following Britain's exit from the European Union. And we all sincerely hope that Mrs May would be able to put her withdrawal agreement to the British Parliament and have it agreed and then have the transition period where extremely important work has yet to be undertaken between Britain and the European Union, and that's a future trading relationship. And what we had all hoped was that the withdrawal agreement would be agreed, mm. it would have a transition period then for two years or whatever, that there would be a good, meaningful discussion, a good trade deal both from the European Union point of view and from a British point of view, and that there would have that stability.
1: But this isn't necessary. I mean, this is the argument that Boris Johnson... I mean, it does seem like a a colourful climb down, but he does have that proverbial gun to his head and he's saying it's either that we vote for Theresa May's deal or we'll remain in the European Union. But he's saying that it doesn't need to be that way if people remembered that... Britain or the United Kingdom is the fifth or sixth biggest economy on earth, the second biggest military power in NATO, and that if they had the guts to go to Brussels and say that they can't accept what he calls the constitutional humiliation of the backstop, that there would continue to be Mars bears, there would be drinking water, planes would fly, the sun would come up in the morning, and that it would be in line with the wishes of 17.4 million people who voted to leave.
2: Yeah, but they voted to leave on the basis that there would be a good trading arrangement with the European Union. And and they they weren't made aware. And Mr Johnston was a a senior government minister who walked away then from the decision-making process. If he's so concerned about the gun being put to his head metaphorically and politically, why didn't he stay in the Cabinet Room from within the cabinet to effect the changes as he thought would be beneficial that we would disagree with him entirely but he was one of those people who was, who was using raw politics to further his own career hoping to eventually lead the Conservative Party and, and when he and others within the Conservative Party were not able to, to achieve what they had promised the electorate in advance of the referendum they move away from the centre of politics and are sniping then from the background. That's not going to achieve anything for, 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 the, for, the, British, for the British people, for the, for the European Union people or for the Irish people. Mm. What we want to see is positive, meaningful dialogue to ensure that the agreements are reached for the benefit of both the European Union and the British people. We have all a common interest in deals being reached, agreements being achieved, political instability in Britain is of no benefit to Ireland or any other part of the of the European continent. Um, political instability anywhere has a negative knock on effect, and we all know that if, if the economy in Britain is weakened, if sterling is weakened, it has a knock on effect on our exports, the cost of doing business here. So, the single market that we are all part of at the present time, in the 28th member states. That brought stability. It helped to reduce um, costs for businesses. Mm. It helped to increase access to markets. All of that was beneficial to, uh, to all our economies. It helped competitiveness as well. So if we go into the situation that the, the British government has proposed at the present time in regard if, if there was a no-deal situation and tariffs were imposed on, say, Irish, Irish agri-food products, food and drink products at the rate that was that was... Um, Mm. mentioned 10 days ago and then the European Union put on tariffs nobody gains from that type of of tariffs being imposed in either
1: direction. But does logic matter in a a census debate? Will Mrs May get the support necessary uh, to Uh, make this agreement formally with uh, the European Union. Uh, In the same newspaper, Sammy Wilson is writing today that uh, the DUP uh, said that it was uh, not vote for the deal without changes to the backstop. He says, we've worked assiduously with the government to try and get the changes to the agreement and will continue to do so, but we will not vote for an unamended or unchanged version of it. And uh, that means that Jacob Rees-Mogg is in a bit of a a dilemma because he seems to be willing to vote for it if the DUP is.
2: Yeah, but I would hope then that Mrs May would also be able to convince more members of the British Labour Party Party, the Scottish Nationalist Party, and, and the Welsh Clyde Cymru as well, we would hope and unfortunately, in my view, and we are only looking at it from outside, I have to say, she didn't reach across the House when she lost her majority by uh, foolishly calling the 2017 general election, when she was in a in a precarious position number, numbers-wise in the House of Commons, at that stage she should have been involving the other parties across the House and reaching a consensus. And let us remember Mr. Johnston and the EUP and others would talk about the backstop. The European Union um, agreed to changes to facilitate Mrs May, and Prime Minister May and our government agreed the withdrawal agreement, and it's up to them then to get it through their parliament.
1: Mm. Uh, But there may be some other consensus. Uh, today, there's uh, about 16 options uh, that uh, the Speaker of the House will whittle down to uh, about six or seven different options to be voted on at uh, about seven o'clock this evening. And there'll be a variety of uh, ways forward that MPs will be able to indicate whether they support or not the options in front of them. And they may choose several of the options, it seems.
2: Yeah, and I presume that that could be whittled down further, maybe because there there was speculation earlier this morning from Britain as well, from 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 some members of the House of Commons that there could be further votes on that basis again next Monday, if if there's a trend towards a certain proposals and and then there could be follow-on votes. I understand, but this is an unprecedented situation. This is a new situation. The indicative votes, but if if the if the 12 to 15 options that may go before the members today, if that's whittled down further over the next few days, maybe you could reach reach a consensus, or not a consensus, but reach a majority decision. Then that would that would hopefully uh, ensure that there was an orderly withdrawal by Britain, mm. and that you would have the transition period between Britain leaving the European Union and putting in place the new future trading arrangement between Britain and Europe. And I think oftentimes in the debates that we have had and the narrative, we often we talk about the withdrawal agreement, what's immediate, but equally important is the follow up agreements and the trading arrangement that will come into place following Britain's exit from the European Union. So that's why it's critical that the withdrawal agreement is, is gets through Parliament, that you have an orderly withdrawal by Britain on a uh, literally on a phase basis because you would have to transition and uh, during that transition time The European Union and Britain would 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 um, put in place, hopefully. good trading arrangement mm. for the benefit of both trading blocks.
1: Okay, so uh, this evening though they will probably vote on whether they would have a, a customs union with uh, the European Union, whether they would stay in uh, the single market, whether there would be uh, a Norway style relationship or a Canada plus uh, plus plus or if uh, the Labour proposal for uh, a close economic relationship with Europe which would see uh, an alignment uh, with uh, the single market market and a comprehensive customs union put in place or if they may go for a second referendum Uh, and I gather there's the possibility that they might look at the idea of revoking Article 50 altogether Uh, if there isn't a clear majority for one of them will they be voting again on Mrs May's deal?
2: It could be or or there there could be a proposal emanating from the different options and what level of support each of those options commands in the House of Commons. And perhaps next week, as, as has been suggested, you could have further votes, indicative votes, on, on a smaller range of options. Just the latter two that you mentioned, Michael, in regard to another referendum or revoking Article 50, I... I, I I don't think that will happen. I'd love to see Article 50 being being revoked. I don't see that happening, and I, I, I presume that a, a referendum, another referendum, would be quite divisive. And we know that the political system is divided very much in Britain at the minute. So th- there are a lot of good people of uh, of great experience in the House of yeah. Commons that we have listened to over the past number of weeks. People like Dominic Grieve, the former. Attorney General and Conservative Government, who was close links with Ireland, Hilary Benn, who was uh, a colleague of my own, when we were both Agriculture and Fisheries Minister, Yvette Cooper. There's quite a number of those people who have been working assiduously in the background, trying to bring members from from the all the parties, from members from across the House, to, to try to ensure that agreement would be reached on... on Ensuring that there was an agreed withdrawal by Britain from from the European Union and a necessary transition period and follow-up trading arrangement. So there's a bit of optimism in, me, in in me always, and I and I I know the huge task politically there is to achieve a, agreement in the House of Commons. But I I think when people realise what a crash out would entail, that crash out would be coming up in the early part of April. Like, we thought two years ago, on the 29th of mm. March was, was the date given for the British withdrawal, that, that you don't find that coming around. Here we are discussing options in the House of Commons on the 27th of March. The European Union has given further deadlines the twelfth of April is another deadline mm. and we sincerely hope that the Britain will not be crashing out of the European Union with all its disastrous consequences come the twelfth of April.
1: But little hope, despite a, a very long day in Westminster today and most likely tomorrow, that there will be a clear path forward uh, as we go into April next week. Uh, they'll be returning to vote on the various options.
2: But if there was a bit of progress or an indication in regard to where consensus or agreement could be reached, Maybe the indicative votes by the level of support that each particular proposal um, gathers, maybe that would give a clear indication of what proposal could get through the House and hopefully and, and um, that over the next few days that that could be achieved.
1: All right. We'll leave there for the moment. Thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Brandon Smith, Fianna Fáil TD for Kevin Monaghan and Chairperson of the Oireachtas Joint Committee on Foreign Affairs, Trade and Defence.
3: Michael,
4: Michael Reed Reade
1: on LMFM. Owen White is uh, the chairman of the IFA's Sheep Committee. He joins us now. Good morning to you, Owen, and uh, thanks for taking some time to be with us. How are you today, by the way? Uh,
5: good morning, Michael. Thank you very much for this call. Uh, yet again, Michael, uh, sheep kill and worrying in the Cooley Peninsula. Mm. Uh, after all we went through so many months and this is weeks now gone where there was none and now again uh, sheep worrying uh, it's a major concern mm. um, I um, actually come on the dog in the field
1: Well that's it I mean that's I was asking you how you are because uh, I mean I know the dogs worry sheep and they'll slaughter sheep uh, but uh, I imagine uh, it was uh, an upsetting experience for you yesterday morning. Tell us what happened. You were uh, in uh, Grange Cross around 8 o'clock in the morning.
5: Right 8 o'clock, uh, lo- looking at my own sheep and coming coming towards a neighbour's field. I uh, saw a sheep in a corner of the field. I noticed uh, maybe a problem and uh, then when I went into the field, I noticed a dog in the corner of the field attacking a sheep. And
1: um, and he was actually attacking, was he?
5: Yeah, uh, yeah. And I mm-hmm. rang... Uh, I rung the owner of the sheep and he come and a neighbour come and we shot the dog, which was attacking the sheep. Uh, it was a big Asian dog. Um, it's, it's awful upsetting like to mm. think that uh, sheep farmers uh, that look after the sheep and these yields there were 60 yews in the field and these were uh, in top of lamb. And there was actually two sheep lambing in the field as I was there.
1: Did you shoot the dog yourself, or was it your yep. your neighbour? Yep.
5: Yeah, shot the dog. Yes, farmers hmm. has uh, the right to shoot dogs.
1: Oh, I know that, but it can't be easy to put to pull the trigger, is it?
5: No, it can't be easy, but, like, uh, these are our livelihoods, these sheep, like, th- them mm. dogs is, is people's pets and owners, but when they get out into a field, an open field, open air, they that's their instinct to kill. Mm. So, like, people don't realise this, do you know what I mean? Like, they have to look after their dogs, and, like, they have to, there has to be legislation here for a licence, every dog has to be licensed, and it's the same as, like, a tax book of a car. You have to... Uh, there has to be something like that. The change of ownership. If there's a problem there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where this change of ownership. I that's own fair
1: that. enough, Owen. I mean, it's completely fair to say that. Uh, I suppose uh, I was saying it, it couldn't be easy to pull the trigger because I'd feel sorry for anybody who has to do it, who's been put in that situation.
5: Yeah, put in that situation, but but uh, like it's it's their livelihood. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're killing. Like mm-hmm. uh, like it's 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 there's very little profit in sheep, mm-hmm. and like uh, like they are killing a warrior. Like this man. Now he doesn't know if them sheep are aboard or anything. Like they yeah. could happen all aboard. Like, uh, and like it, 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 it's a disaster. Then, like,
1: mm. uh, and um, was it uh, that he shot him in the face? It looks like his head was blown off. I mean, photographs. Yeah, shot uh. him. Uh, shot him. Yeah, killed him.
5: Yeah, yeah, the head. Yeah. Ver, ver, ver,
1: very disturbing to look at the pictures. Must have been very disturbing to shoot and Very disturbing oh, yeah. to deal with. Uh, yeah.
5: It is very disturbing and it's very hard on on people. It's very hard on a farmer too and the the pet owners and that, but they Mm. have to look after them. They have the responsibility for the dog.
1: Do you know who owns the dog?
5: Uh, I'm not too sure, no, no.
1: Hmm. Uh, Have you seen this dog before because... uh, No,
5: no, I didn't see the dog before. No,
1: no, no. Okay, because we have heard uh, from Matthew that uh, quite often, Matthew McGreehan, that quite often it's uh, the same dogs that are worrying sheep.
5: Yes, yes, but this was a different area now from from the last area mm. now that was killed. It was Ballymac the last time. This was a good distance away.
1: But it, it's across the regions. I mean, oh, I, I think oh, there's been more than sixty dogs, close on seventy dogs at this stage that have been killed in recent months. Sheep, uh, sheep. sheep yeah. I beg your pardon. Sheep, of course, yeah.
5: Sheep killing this. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. where well, the dogs get away and they're not they're not killed or they're not found. Like it's just by chance. I come on that. Like that could have been mm. a, an awful lot worse.
1: Yeah, eight, and at 8 o'clock in the morning.
5: At 8 o'clock in the morning, and the farmer was there at 7 looking at his sheep, do you know what I mean? And this was it
1: mm. Alright, uh, well, it's uh, a chance to uh, appeal to dog owners to keep their to keep, to pets keep, under control.
5: Especially on the Cooley Mountains where you have walkers coming out, there's no dogs allowed on the Cooley Mountains. Mm. Like that, that is uh, an area, don't mind the walkers, the whole lot, that, but no dogs, because mm-hmm. they get out loose, free, open air, they will kill and attack and worry sheep.
1: All right, and the photograph you sent us in of uh, the dead dog is really horrible to look at. He had his head blown off, and uh, I suppose uh, that's the word of warning to people uh, who don't hear the first message, which is to keep their dogs under control. Yes, yes. All right, hon. Yep. We'll leave Thanks very much for, for the call. Thank you very much indeed, Owen White, chairman of the IFA's Sheep Committee. Now, Wednesday morning means uh, that the local newspapers are in the shops. Marie Kearns is here to tell us what's on the front pages. And you're beginning this week in Dundalk.
6: I am indeed, Michael, and to the Dundalk Democrat on its front page, the paper re- revealing that Loud County Council and its insurers have forked out nearly 6 million euro in compensation claims for trips and slips, as the paper puts it, in public places over the past five years alone. These figures now are obtained by the paper via Freedom of Information request. And David Lynch writes that for the five years in question, 215 compensation claims were paid out with a whopping 53 claims in 2016.
1: Okay, and we stay in Dundalk. Uh, The Argus uh, leads uh, with uh, the very unusual story of a local woman.
6: That's right. It is, of course, the story of Lisa Smith, which is is dominating the front page of the Argus today. The paper is reporting that the Mahavna Moore mother, a former Irish soldier who left Ireland to support the Islamic State, wants to return home from the refugee camp in Syria with her child. Inside on page four, then, there's a really good in-depth interview with local boxing champion Amy Broadhurst following her heroic return from Russia as European under-22 gold medalist.
1: All right, and Lisa Smith making a, a lot of uh, the national newspapers, or at least stories about Lisa Smith making uh, a lot of uh, the national newspapers uh, today because of what uh, the Taoiseach said in the doll yesterday. We'll be hearing from Leo Radker a little bit later on and what he said yesterday. We'll stay and undock though and a which makes uh, for the front page story of the leader this week.
6: Yes, Michael, another horrible story really of vandalism, uh, anger over malicious fire at Athletic Club. That's the lead story in the leader, Paul Byrne, is reporting that St Peter's Athletic Club in Dromiskin was the target of mindless vandals last weekend when a fire was started maliciously, which burned most of their equipment and is likely to cost the club a four-figure. Some members there have hit out at the incident, describing it as a senseless act, which damages a facility that's used by the whole community.
1: Gangland stories continue to- dominate uh, the news in Drogheda. What a week it's been with uh, the bomb in Rathmullen Park, uh, the fellow who got shot in uh, the knee and handguns, ammunition and drugs uh, discovered in the town. This makes for the lead story of The Independent.
6: That's right and they were found at uh, in the roof area, Michael, of a former pub at the Parkview Sports Ground in the centre of the town and that's the lead story there. Also on page one of the Drogheda Independent, there's an appeal from a mother of three autistic children who's calling for urgent building of social housing and in particular bungalows. She says the de- deplorable and squalid conditions of the house she rents are making her family ill. The windows are black with mould and she's paying €715 per month for this house which she feels is most
1: Okay, we go to the leader, the other newspaper in Drogheda and it's talking about guns as well.
6: That's right, it's leading with the same story but inside the paper Des Grant is questioning the fairness of commercial rates in Drogheda apparently been dearer than Dundalk this year. He's claiming that Loud County Council previously always charged traders in Drogheda and Dundalk the same but for some unknown reason that equal payment policy has now changed with a 3.5% difference, a movie says, which sent shockwaves through the local business community in the town.
1: Alright, uh, this is Des Grant who owns the dropout area. That's right. uh, He's uh, using the paper obviously to have a, a, a pop at Louth County Council, which is an unusual thing for the media to do because uh, Louth County Council uh, would be substantial advertisers, wouldn't they? Are, are they advertising with the leader or is it just the dropout independent they advertise with these days? I'd
6: imagine they do. Most, most likely they'd advertise with uh, both now, but I wouldn't be watching yeah, that, yeah. you know, that closely. It,
1: it might be the lens to read some of these stories through, uh, but uh, I'm sure Des Grant uh, will make that clear uh, in uh, The Leader over the course of uh, the coming weeks. We go to Mead and uh, The Chronicle there. It's a, a sad story that makes for the front page of The Chronicle.
6: It is, sadly, Michael. Um, the Paves reporting that the funeral of Gormanston man Thomas Lynch, who was killed in that horrific multi-vehicle collision near Kilbegan over the bank holiday weekend has been delayed as his wife battles injuries she sustained in the accident. Mr Lynch was the former director of the Navin-based National Property Services Regulatory Authority and he was remembered in the paper by the PRSA for his tireless work in driving standards and professionalising the property services sector.
1: All right, very sad indeed and uh, condolences uh, to all Uh, those who are related and uh, friends and neighbours of uh, Thomas Lynch for that matter. Some interesting stories making for the front pages of uh, the local newspapers uh, this week. People might want to comment on them. They can give you a call. You'll be back in the next few minutes with some of those comments. Or indeed, if uh, there's something else people have been hearing or if you'd like to raise an issue with us, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 715 958. Michael
3: Michael Reed on on LMFM.
1: Now, you may not be able to drive above the speed limit or drink and drive in years to come with the installation of what they call Intelligent Speed Assistance Black Boxes. Uh, This is a system uh, that has been agreed at a, a European level and will make it impossible to break the speed limit because uh, the technology in the car will use GPS to detect what the speed limit is and you won't be able to drive at a speed faster than that, it would seem. Tony Toner is a training director with the Institute of Advanced Motoring in Ireland. Uh, This is something that has been suggested by people over a long period of time that you'd be limited in terms of what speed you can go at. Is it a good idea or is it a bad idea?
3: Morning, Michael. Um... (coughs) Well, the, um, I suppose let's call it the intervention of the car manufacturers uh, and the legislators uh, was probably an, an inevitability, Michael, because the human element of driving is causing effectively all the collisions. And something has to be done. You can put in as many rules as you like. Then you have to put in monitoring systems whether that be static cameras, van cameras, guard the patrols, checkpoints, call it what you like. But the human element factor of normal day-to-day driving has resulted and will result in car collisions, which unfortunately results in serious personal injury and sometimes fatality. And now you have the technology available with GPS and geolocation Mm devices in cars that can... It knows where the car is. Yeah. It knows how it's been driven yeah. in that the, the sensors in the car will detect if the wheel if the steering wheel is being um used correctly. In other words, that the hand mm. on the wheel for the right amount of time, is the eyes of the driver are they being distracted? Yeah. All of this stuff can be fed into a vehicle computer and then What's proposed down the line is that the, uh, the likes of Volvo, who are the world leaders in, um, in, in, dare it, in, in car safety, uh, they've had many, many firsts. Um, they have uh, an test in the technology where the car will intervene itself if it knows it's being driven distractedly or it won't allow you, if you're intoxicated, move the car.
1: Yeah, but there are times when you need to drive faster than the speed limit allows, aren't there?
3: Um, What you're saying is there are times when we need acceleration. Mm. Um, An inappropriate speed Michael, is is the major, major cause of most road police. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we, 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 whether you're no.
1: tired or, or, or fit as a fiddle, drunk or sober as a, a judge, uh, you stand a, a better chance of survival or less injury if you're uh, involved a, a, in an accident at a, a lower speed. But the fact remains that if a terrorist is driving at me, and I want to get away quickly, or a bank robber is driving at me or, or on the wrong side of the road, and I want to move very quickly, or a tree is falling, or or something like that happens. Uh, there are occasions uh, where you may be about to hit a, a cyclist unless you get past them very quickly, uh, that you need to be able to acceler- accelerate and to have the ability to drive the car faster than would ordinarily be appropriate.
5: Um,
3: A lot of the stuff you're talking about there Michael, is, um, you know, it's stuff we deal with on a day-to-day basis got to do with observation and anticipation. Um, Now, with the best will in the world, we can't um, include everything because the likes of the unforeseen, as you said there, maybe in windy conditions, a fallen branch, uh, the reaction of another road user to that could have them maybe coming onto your side of the road Things like
1: this,
3: hmm. um, somebody could have a heart attack when,
1: and come across the wrong side of the road.
3: Yeah, but you know, are, you know, they, they are extremes, but Michael, and they're not them. They're not. They're not. But that's uh, the, that's the. are not the causes of of most of the collisions. But that's
1: the reason why you should be able to exceed the speed limit. So it, it is in those exceptionally extreme circumstances that you have the ability to drive faster. Is it not? No, because, well, Michael, you're assuming that the um, the, the, um,
3: the, the incident is going to occur when you're travelling at um, just below the permitted speed limit and that you need extra acceleration now to get around whatever obstruction or whatever yep. is coming into your path. Mm. Um, the, the thing about it is we are all going to have a defence mechanism of survival. Mm. And we're going to do whatever it is, a reflex action yeah. to, to to avoid a collision. Yeah, and
1: sometimes or, that's, I'll give you, give you a far simpler example. Uh, let's say uh, I'm driving at just below 80 uh, on one of the national roads uh, within the speed limit uh, and somebody pulls out of a, a driveway at a snail's pace and there's no way I can stop in time. Uh, and there's a car coming, but uh, if I accelerate and I get up to 100 or 120 in a matter of seconds, I'll get past the car that has crawled out of the driveway, uh, and I won't collide with the next car. Now, that's a a split-second decision, but if you haven't got the ability to make that decision, you have only one option, uh, and that's either to drive into the car that's coming out of the snail's pace or into the wall beside it.
3: Well, the, the, you know, the actuality is if you're coming down at 80k, uh, you know, in a, in a secondary road, the Delique Road out of Drogheda is 80k. If you're coming down that road, the chances are you're in fifth or sixth gear. The, the, the pedal response you have, or if you're driving an automatic, the response of throttle you have is, in, it can be a major safety device. But you're, you're, you're asking, um, you're asking a lot. To uh, of drivers to um, uh, get around all that thing. The point but, I'm making I
1: mean, is I, I, the I,
3: scenarios I, you're talking about, yeah. Michael, in reality, you know, the defensive part of driving is one where we have to... The bottom line on all our driving is, but Tony, I see to that all the time in the distance, we can see to be clear. I see I that really all the time, Tony,
1: that that people people pull out at a snail's pace all the time. They've no appreciation of the speed of the traffic on the road that they're coming out onto.
3: They don't yeah, but exceeding the speed limit, there there's rarely um, when, when but,
1: exce- but, but 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 the question the, the question is is it better to exceed? the speed limit then kill the person who's in my view done a terrible thing and put you in danger kill them and yourself
3: my well, we're going to, we're going to avoid the bump that's our reflex action if if in doing that you like you're on an 80k mm. road and um, you you swerve around it the, like the chances are you're not going to accelerate around them michael you're actually going to swerve and brake around them that's what the reflex action's going to be but the point I'm making is the whole idea is to absolutely avoid the collision and avoid, obviously, the human...
1: Uh, well, t- t- take the Dulic Road, just as the example that you gave there, a very busy road. Quite often cars coming both sides of the road. If somebody pulls out of you at a snail's pace, uh, the chances are that there's a car coming on the other side of the road. If you have no hope of stopping, uh, there may be a chance of getting by at an accelerated speed. Do you know what I mean?
3: Michael, circumstances—it's uh, all about circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, if it is, and obviously avoiding the collision is the prime thing, you know, not causing, uh want call it, damage to mm-hmm. another human is really, really important. But this is where this technology, Michael, is going to come in yeah. because the cars will recognise other cars, mm. and they'll recognise the pace of other cars. The cars will know what it takes to stop. This particular car at this speed on this surface the cars have all the, the there's enough there is it intelligence now mm. with all the software for all this sort of stuff to be in place and the idea is like volvo have uh, again said they're going to limit the top speed of their cars to 180k by the model year 2021 mm, mm, mm. so um you know what i mean there's huge uh investment in the motor manufacturers into their vehicles. And most people today going yep. out to buy a car. will will look for Euro NCAP testing. And I imagine, most N-camp.
1: People, I imagine most people listening to us will never drive at 180 kilometers an hour. It's amazing Absolutely. sometimes to look at the clock and you can think of doing 240 or whatever it is. Uh, and maybe that is the solution. But uh, I, I, I hope there are the arguments. The... Uh, you know, for and against. Uh, but uh, the idea of one of these alcohol, uh, alcohol locks is very good, uh, that you wouldn't be able to drive if you're over the limit.
3: Again, Michael, anything that prevents, uh, you know what I mean, the carnage that you, you report on on an all-too-regular basis mm. is is vital. Um, the, As I said, the technology is there. Like, we buy our cars with Euro NCAP, the testing that goes on, you know, on a new car uh, for Euro NCAP is a max speed of 64 kilometers an hour on impact. 64 kilometers an hour,
4: like mm.
3: two cars traveling within the speed limit of 50 k and hitting head-on is a is a total speed of possibly 100 kilometers an hour impact. So all the safety devices that's in the car from the seat retention system to the airbag system, the side impact bars and all of that stuff are absolutely tested to the limit in a, in a bump like that and may not prevent the injuries. And severe injuries on our roads, Michael, are, are, are the unknown, the carnage um, due to uh, uh, collisions whereby people have life-impaired injury is not as well there is a voiced and documented as are the unfortunate fatalities and there's many many people who are impaired for the rest of their lives out of a collision that's never reported
1: well that can't be argued with uh, we have and to the leave technology
3: with everyone, but... the technology mm-hmm. will hopefully, prevent an awful lot of
1: that. Let's hope that is the case. Tony, thank you indeed for joining us as always. Tony Toner, Training Director with the Institute of Advanced Motoring in Ireland. Michael,
3: Michael Reed, Reed on LMFM.
1: Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie so joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie.
6: Good morning, Michael, and to everybody listening in. Charlie from Navin phoned in in relation to Brexit, and he has been saying it for the past three to four months, he says, that there's going to be a rerun and by that he means there'll be another referendum without a doubt says Charlie and why is he so convinced because he happened to be in London over the weekend and he went to view the Brexit march and he spoke to so many people Mm. and he just said he couldn't get over the feelings of anger and disgust that there was Mm. amongst people there with their parliamentarians Mm. and he says that many people just feel it will be the biggest mistake if if the UK goes through with it.
1: Yeah, and I mean, he has a point. There were a lot of people, I think they're estimating in around a million people, but it was only a million people. I mean, there's a population of about 60 million and 17.4 million of them voted to leave. Uh, there may very well be a second referendum. The outcome may be that they stay. There may not be a second referendum. And if there is, (laughs) the outcome may be that they leave. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, what you hear from so many people is as clear-cut as it might seem.
6: Paddy says, did you ever see such nonsense, Michael, from the UK? It's just going on and on and on, this dregs of things. Now we have this indicative vote. Is that what it's called? What the Mm. hell is that, Paddy wants to know? Well,
1: (laughs) it's votes that would indicate what you would be in support of.
6: Yes, because Paddy maintains that they don't know what they want. Mm. So what is this going to prove today? Mm. But, I mean, Mm. they have to make up their minds now, don't they? Uh, Well, maybe,
1: yes, no... (laughs) Of course. No, not at all. (laughs) Uh, This is Brexit after all, so all things are confusing. uh, But uh, no, they don't have to make up their minds. Uh, If they don't make up their minds, uh, well, then they will find themselves in the default position or accidentally crashing out, as the case may be. Because one thing that they have said is they don't want to leave without a deal.
6: Okay, Jim from Johada thinks that today is the last hurrah four trees in May. Going to be very interesting to Mm. see what happens. If it wasn't so serious for Ireland, says Jim, Mm. all you would do is laugh at them. But unfortunately, we are going to be the ones to suffer if they do go without Mm. a deal.
1: I don't think it's going to be her last hurrah. Um, uh, uh, And God knows, uh, I certainly don't. uh, But uh, from the little I do understand of it, I think what will happen is uh, that about six or seven different options will be put to Mm. the MPs today and they will be asked to vote uh, in favour to indicate which ones that they would support. Uh, So they're the indicative votes and uh, they may indicate that they would support all six of them uh, or one of them. Mm. Uh, And if uh, there seems uh, to be support for one, well, that will feed into the thinking of people. It's not expected that any of them will gain a majority of Mm. votes. So tomorrow, perhaps, Theresa May will ask the MPs to vote on her deal for a third Third, time. Yes. Uh, I don't think that's going to pass, but there'll be fewer against it uh, or more in support of it than the last time. And then they'll be back to it again next week. And they'll look at what got some support Mm. tonight and Mrs May's uh, and Mrs May will hope to get more support and she'll be doing so on the basis that she'll step down then as Prime Minister if the deal is agreed Right
6: Mm. So she may pull it off she may get that deal through. She may
1: Yeah, well I mean the Boris Johnson article this morning I I think speaks volumes uh, and Jacob Rees-Mogg saying look if the DUP are okay with it it's okay with me
6: Yes, so Uh, there is a a shift There's
1: there's definitely a shift There's definitely a climb down and there's obviously a bit of uh, face saving as well involved in all of this. Uh, the DUP seem to be a big sickler because they're saying no, 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 uh, which uh, is in line with uh, party uh, thinking uh, <laughs> uh, 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 since the formation of the DUP, it would seem. But they are saying no, 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 no. Uh, so uh, it, it may not be clear-cut yet.
6: John from Dunabate phoned in. He's just saying look, we know that the UK is going to be leaving one way or the other, whether it's April or May. And he says, so therefore there'll be one less nation in the EU. Why then do we have to have two extra reps from Ireland, he's wondering, you know, two EU reps? Would it not be better if there's one less nation to have less representatives because they cost money.
1: Okay, now you're complicating an already <laughs> overly complicated situation. <laughs> well, that's
6: John's yeah. point, so yeah, i am reading yeah, it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: we'll just take it as a point. <laughs> okay.
6: Moving mm. then, uh, we had a couple of comments just in relation to the, the whole problem with sheep and sheep being mm. attacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric from Dundalk says, I would like to suggest to all farmers with the sheep to hire a professional fence company to secure lands from dogs or or foxes, then there would no, be no need for dogs or foxes to be harmed.
1: Yeah, or just shoot them, then there'd be no need for dogs. Did, you, did you see the photograph of the dog?
6: No. and oh,
1: it, yeah, he blew his head off. Listening yeah.
6: you describe it was Mm-mm. enough for me. I don't think I'd really want to see the picture. Mm-mm. Sean says owners should have more control of their dogs. They should not be allowed to wander over fields and harm sheep. It's happening too often and farmers must be at their wits' end trying to keep their sheep safe. I'd say so. Mm. Uh, Deirdre says it's dreadful that people are letting dogs roam around and that they should not be permitted to kill sheep, uh, that uh, people should have their dogs under control at all times, that you can never trust dogs. Mm hold that thought for a moment. Okay. Uh, we've
1: been hearing uh, talk of uh, Lisa Smith uh, being brought home. Uh, it's an issue that was raised in the Dáil yesterday by the Labour Party leader, Brendan Hallow.
7: Taoiseach, an Irish citizen, Lisa Smith, is in a camp in northeastern Syria with her two-year-old daughter, Rukaya. Uh, the 37-year-old Dundalk woman has obviously made very poor choices herself and is responsible for the situation she finds herself in. But there's a two-year-old girl, an Irish citizen, that deserves a future. The Tanneta has said there is a duty of care. We understand that the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, Defense and Justice um, have had meetings and are coordinating um, this state's response to this matter. Uh, has this been discussed by the Cabinet subcommittee? Can I ask you specifically what efforts are being made to return um, Lisa and her daughter to Ireland? It's reported that aid workers from the Red Cross uh, have been approached directly and asked to get her home. Uh, When Ms Smith arrives home, um, is it determined how she will be treated? In a related matter, you've seen uh, the shocking um, attacks in New Zealand by a far-right terrorist group. Um, Obviously, such attacks have caused great concern, particularly among the Muslim uh, community across the globe, but also in this state. So, can I ask you, have Angarda Shiaqana consulted with the Muslim community in Ireland uh, about their own uh, security and have any uh, concerns that they may have expressed been addressed and are there particular measures being put in place to give security and confidence uh, to the Muslim community in Ireland.
8: Um, I was asked about the uh, consular case, Um, the case being that of um, of Lisa Marie-Smith. That hasn't been discussed at a Cabinet subcommittee, but it was discussed at Cabinet today, in fact, uh, and previously. Um, And I am conscious that uh, while uh, nobody can condone uh, the choices that she has made and the actions that she took, uh, in aligning ourselves with um, uh, ISIS, ISIS, a terrorist regime uh, that is hell-bent on the destruction of the West uh, and Christendom. Um, she does have a two-year-old child, and that two-year-old child uh, is an Irish citizen, uh, and that child is an innocent child. And as is the case with all Irish citizens, um, they will be permitted to re-enter the state uh, should they uh, try to do so. Uh, but, of course, um, a security assessment will have to be carried out to make sure that um, Lisa smith is not a threat uh, to any of us. um, And we're um, working out how that best can be done uh, to make sure that uh, she doesn't become a threat to uh, life and limb here in Ireland. Uh, But that doesn't apply, obviously, to uh, a two-year-old child. Um, I've heard some suggestions that the government jet might be used. Um, That is absolutely without foundation. Um, First of all, we don't use the government jet to repatriate uh, citizens, Um, And uh, secondly, it doesn't fly as far as Syria um, or even as far as uh, Turkey. So I don't know where that comes from, but that's absolutely not the case. Um, I am aware of reports uh, that uh, she is in uh, an annex to the Al-Hal camp uh, in the area of northern Syria, controlled by Kurdish forces. And there was another televised interview uh, over the weekend with the person in question. Efforts are continuing to verify the details and make direct contact with her. Concert assistance is provided to all Irish citizens abroad when requested, and our, but our capacity to do so in an active war zone is limited. Nonetheless, uh, I am aware of the vulnerability of the two-year-old child in these circumstances, and the safety and welfare of Irish citizens uh, is a priority for the consular Service and the Government. And this applies to the case in question, where two Irish citizens are in high-risk locations and wish to leave. Officials from across government departments and services have been meeting this weekend to identify options to provide consular assistance to children such as these in Syria. We will step up these efforts and work with international partners, including international organisations, <coughs> to ensure that decent uh, humanitarian treatment is afforded. And we'll do what can and should be done to assist our citizens in distress or danger overseas, including by helping them return home. Uh, in terms of the um, gardi and their engagement with the Muslim community, I, I can't speak for the Gardi, but I, I do know from my visits to the mosque and my conversations with the gardi that there are gardi and officers um, appointed to uh, the Muslim community, uh, and I think they do very effective work, uh, or at least that's the impression that I have. I think Deputy Burton asked about the uh, National Security uh, Advisory That's
1: The Taoiseach, uh, Leo Vranker, speaking in uh, the Dáil yesterday, responding uh, to the Labour Party leader, Brendan Howland, and making it it clear, I I think uh, that the government is working with international agencies believed to be the Red Cross to bring Lisa Smith and her two-year-old child home to Ireland.
6: And I get it one more comment in if I can. Noel yep. from North County Dublin phoned in just in relation to speeding. I was listening into your mm. conversation there with Tony Toner. And he says what strikes him is that we all need to look at ourselves in relation to speeding. He says that there's such support for car rallies, motorsports, that type of thing that mm. you know you bring children to or and children look up the winner is praised and they look up to them. And he says you then expect young people to get into a car and to drive without speeding and he says we really need to look at all of that and he says he'd consider himself a careful driver but really we are all hypocritical because most people get into the car and in some way can break the speed, speed limit whether it's doing 30 in a 35 miles or 40 in a mm. 45 mile zone so we mm-hmm. wanted to make that point
1: Okay, alright. Thanks uh, for making that point. Thanks Marie for that matter and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said as always we'd love to hear from you or to Telephone number is 1850 715 Michael,
7: Michael Reid
1: on, on LMFM. FM. The Green Party is in favour of littering according uh, to some people in County Louth who would consider their sitting councillors uh, to be litter louts because uh, they want to erect election posters. Let's hear from one of them, Marianne Butler, who opposed uh, a motion uh, which would have meant that candidates in the upcoming local elections would have voluntarily decided not to put up election posters. Good morning to you, Marianne, and thanks for joining us here on the programme this morning. It's an odd position for the Green Party to take, is it not?
9: Uh, not at all, Michael, and I suppose I actually find that quite offensive, and I'm sure many of my fellow councillors and candidates find it offensive too. We're not littering, and we're not litter- We're certainly not litter lads And as somebody who is regularly um, uh, volunteering my time towards tidy towns and other initiatives it is actually
1: quite offensive to call it littering well the tidy um, towns committees have asked you not to
9: they have asked us not to put up posters within the 50 kilometer zones in 13 um villages throughout county Louth, um and that request was made on the first of um first of march but um look there's a number of issues here we would of course a, like to see changes made to um, how postering is done yeah. but it has to be done nationally and it has to be done through legislation because our elections are governed governed by legislation um, to ensure everybody follows the law and that there is a level playing mm. field for all candidates and what we were asked to do on monday was to support a voluntary code that would affect people that weren't in the room general election candidates going forward european election candidates going forward Presidential election candidates going forward, and candidates that weren't sitting councillors as well, mm. and we simply couldn't do it for a number of reasons. Um, there's a number of falsehoods out there around posters as well that I'm really annoyed about. To be quite honest, they are reusable. I'm certainly going to be reusing.
1: Yeah, the but they're not recyclable.
9: They are reusable. Okay, yeah, but they're not I'll be recyclable. My posters from 2009 and 2014.
1: From they, 2009. They are,
9: they are in 2014. They are. Um, in many cases, made from recycled materials. Sorry, and they are recyclable.
1: Sorry, as well. so, so, sorry, Marianne, three sorry Sorry, Marianne, I'm confused. And by the way, I, I didn't mean to cause offence. I'm not setting out to cause offence. What I am putting forward and asking you to respond to, which is what I believe is a truly held opinion that many people have that these things are litter, uh, that they are bad for the environment and they litter. Uh, and that is what I'm asking you to what, what, just the confusion there what year uh, were your posters made
9: sorry uh, so I first had posters in 2009 when I ran for Dundalk Town and, and you're
1: then, still so using them uh, now I'm,
9: I I, will be planning to take them out give them a quick wipe down and put them back up again
1: but you must um, look an awful lot different 10 years later
9: hopefully not too much different
1: well I do I look a lot different than I did 10 years ago well look that's
9: that's something that I'm going to do because I think it is important Um
1: Is it not misleading?
9: It's not misleading, in any way. Um, Look, can we just get back to the issues here? The Green Party, um, through our Senator, uh, Grace O'Sullivan, have put forward changes to this to allow for central areas in our towns and villages where every candidate can put up a poster and they'll all be grouped together. They'll be at eye level. They will actually allow us to put more information on posters because you'll be able to actually read what we stand for and not simply our names and... um, and you know that we want your number one vote, um, that's one issue. Mm. Um, it, unfortunately, it didn't get um, it didn't get much traction. But it's something I know that Grace and Grace O'Sullivan is going to keep pushing. Um, but look, they look. I appreciate that some people don't like election posters. They are heavily governed by legislation. They're up for a finite period of time. You
1: don't agree with Grace O'Sullivan, do you?
9: I do agree with Grace. But why,
1: did, why, why didn't you uh, make that known uh, yesterday? Why didn't you say, look, if everybody agrees to this, I'll agree to it?
9: OK, no, at the meeting on Monday, what, we weren't being given the choice to allow for these central areas in our towns and villages. No, it's a, a voluntary code, isn't it? The voluntary code was a complete um, ban on erecting election posters anywhere, OK? So it didn't even allow to put that information... That's what
1: maybe Yor asked you to sign up to, to the voluntary code, was it not?
9: So, what the, the actual motion was that we will adhere to a voluntary code of yeah. practice, not to yeah. erect election posters yeah. Yeah. for 2019 and for every election mm. yeah. in the future in County Kentilow. Yeah. That's what it... That's, that's
1: I imagine Grace O'Sullivan word. would have signed up to that if everybody else had signed up to it.
9: I... know Grace... But she's wants, against but posters, no, okay. you see. OK, it's actually quite unfair... You look at the turnout in elections, Okay, In the general election, two-thirds of people will vote. Mm. In local elections, 50% of people will vote. And it's an important part of the process that the posters are put up that everybody is aware that there is going to be elections, Okay, Mm. And I appreciate that there's newspapers and radios and other Mm. media, but the number of people that you will encounter who will say, oh I've seen your poster I know you're running
1: I thought you were I've younger seen, I've, seen, I've, seen, I've seen the posters <laughs> I saw your posters I, I thought you were 10 years younger um, look <laughs> oh come
9: on ballot paper will have you were
1: telling us a moment paper ago paper that you agreed with update. Grace O'Sullivan who update wants update. to ban posters and now you're saying you want posters
9: no I am not saying that what Grace has proposed is that posters be limited and be put in central locations in our towns and villages in order to inform pe- everybody in the locality of who is running what they stand for and just to get that engagement from people it's what's happening in most european countries but anyway look there's, there's look there's a huge amount of issues here um, um, look we're, mm-hmm. we're faced with a huge amount of environmental challenges on monday Mark Deary had um, a motion down to install drinking water fountains in public parks and spaces
1: oh, in order
9: to yeah. reduce single-use plastic um, and the littering well, that this, on. This, the this, hold on to, to, this is
1: single-use plastic, isn't it?
9: I'm after explaining that it's not. That, number one, our posters are reusable, they can be made from recycled material, and they are recyclable. I had a lovely conversation with a local award-winning company this morning, Leinster Environmentals, just to double-check that.
1: Are the ties... Uh, single-use plastic?
9: Um, They're actually reusable. If they're removed properly, Mm. they are reusable. I'm not 100% sure if they can be recycled.
4: But obviously, Grace's,
9: Grace's, our Senator's proposal, Grace and Sullivan, you know, that would be the end of um, cable ties, which would be a great thing. But it's about getting the balance right, about informing people that there are local elections. These Mm. are the candidates. Other, par- other types of advertising can be prohibitively expensive mm. for candidates.
4: But you're, those
9: you're, bus stops, those large commercial um, billboards—yeah, I, I could, I certainly couldn't afford them.
1: Oh no, you would want thousands, tens of thousands for exactly a, a lot of those uh, uh, ways of, of advertising. But you, you can take the ties off and reuse them if you do it slowly. Is it?
9: Yeah, I, I might make a YouTube video on that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would be interesting because most of the time the ties aren't taken off at all. Well,
9: look, that that is definitely an issue and I know one, like certainly post, uh, after other elections, I've actually gone out with Dundalk Tidy Downs with my secretaries. I've taken down the ties. I certainly instruct my poster team when they're taking down my posters. If there's other cable ties on a lamppost, mm please remove
1: them too. Sometimes... Because
9: it gives us all a bad name Well, we are trying to do our best.
1: Sometimes they blow off the poles uh, uh, on top of people or cars or bicycles or whatever. Sometimes uh, cars complain because of where they've uh, been placed and uh, they've obscured their vision. There's all sorts of problems with these things, aren't there? Um, yeah. Look,
9: at the end of the day... I try to. I certainly give specific instructions to people putting up my posters. I think most candidates do. We don't want a situation where our posters are causing a nuisance, and I think if it ever does happen, um, we'll we'll deal with it as soon as we possibly can.
1: Okay, I, I hope you do. Except uh, that some people consider them to be litter put up by litter louts.
9: Um, I think it's an awful thing that we've, we're, we're calling local candidates and local politicians litter louts.
1: No posters. And the erection and the erection and the erection and the of posters uh, and uh, the policy of doing it is uh, in support of littering
9: yeah, i well I certainly don't think so no but um, do you, but do you
1: accept that some people uh, think that and that it's a, an honestly held view
9: um, i I'm certainly disappointed that that some people do think that I think mm-hmm. it is a very important part of our democracy um, in getting people out there, getting people to vote, making people aware that there is going to be, be it local elections, general elections, European elections, presidential elections. Hmm.
1: Okay, well... And the
9: the other thing that's out there as well that I really am annoyed about, there is this notion that posters are paid for out of public funds. They're not. They're paid in, I'd say, 90% of cases by the candidates, and in some Hmm. cases um, where parties have funds, they use non-public money to buy posters. Hmm. But they are paid for by ourselves.
1: Yeah, and they're very expensive too, I think.
9: They are expensive, but at the same time, not as expensive as the kind of advertising um, in mm. print media and other media. And as I said, the bus stops, the, the commercial billboards. Yeah, I don't know of many candidates mm. who could afford them.
1: I like them, by the way. You like posters. Yeah, I think they're great. Oh, thank you.
9: <laughs> 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 look, they are an important part. There are, look, uh, look, I'm absolutely not denying that, you know, there are serious climate change um, issues here. And we need politicians of all parties and none who take this absolutely seriously. My own party is supporting Breed Schmidt, People Before Profit, her climate emergency bill, you know, last night. Um, you know, we supported Thomas Pringle in his divestment from fossil fuels bill, um, I think last year. You know, and we want to, to really support um, the demands of, like, basically the kids on the street who know what we need to do. And that is about keeping focused, keeping... Fossil fuels in the ground, pushing renewable um, electricity, um, and all those high-level things that we really need to get right. Okay, and you need green voices and green-minded voices to do that.
1: Okay, we we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning, Green Party councillor in Louth, Marianne Butler.
3: Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. FM.
1: It is a criminal offence to pay for sex. Uh, That's been uh, the situation since uh, the introduction of uh, the sexual offences bill two years ago. But uh, Sex Workers Ireland says uh, that the upshot of this is the complete opposite of what was intended and that purchasers of sex actually hold the power now. Kate McGrew is a sex worker and director of Sex Workers Alliance Ireland and she joins us now. Good morning to you, Kate, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Why do you say this is the case?
10: Good morning, Michael. Thanks for having us. Well, this law has failed utterly to support sex workers. It's um, further endangered us. It's increased risk-taking behaviour We can see from statistics that there there was a staggering 77% increase of violent attacks on sex workers in the first year this law passed. And at the same time, there was a near 20% decrease in the amount of people that were saying on this um, reporting site that they wanted their attacks to be um, given to the police, the information so it has served to push it underground. It has served to um, to make us um, more endangered. And like you said, it tips the power dynamic actually towards the client.
1: Well, that's what you're saying. But uh, how how can you verify this increase in attacks on sex workers?
10: Sure. So, um, firstly, these statistics are coming from Ugly Mugs. It's a it's an online escort only. Screening and reporting systems for workers to report uh, incidences of crime and violence, mm. and to warn each other about other um, other um, people who are who are on the loose like that. So, um, so it's a very well established um, and um, very important service for us to to protect ourselves. The thing is, the ways that people uh, don't understand about um, why this law has been bad for us are things we really need people to. To, to help them understand so so for example, clients are now you know afraid that they might get caught up in a brothel raid, which is historically and presently where um, sex workers are getting arrested a lot. you know the law not only criminalized the purchase of sex but it doubled penalties for people working in pairs or groups mm. so what that means is that um it I means a few things, really. Clients are, are saying, look, I don't want to go to your place of work because I'm afraid you might be being surveilled, so yeah. can you come to mine? So but you believe I that is
1: hard... the case because it, it doesn't follow that when there are more reports of, of violence that there is an increase in the amount of violence.
10: Sorry, say that again?
1: It, it, if there are more reports of violence, it doesn't follow that there has been an increase in the amount of violence. It just means that more people have reported violence.
10: Right. So on this site, the, the numbers of people who are using the site have stayed steady. The numbers of workers have stayed steady. The fact is, Sway, we, we work supporting and assisting mm. sex workers we are in the industry by choice, circumstance, or coercion. So we're hearing on a daily basis how people's screening systems are interfered with, how people are taking more risks, mm. how certain workers that clients view as more risky, they're afraid they'll get arrested. Okay, but
1: but pardon but, me, pardon but that's me. So not fair. Ver- uh, with me, pardon respect,
10: me, pardon with me.
1: So Kate, it's not me, verifiable.
10: workers are losing work, and so they're dropping their rates, and they're increasing their uh, risk-taking behavior and breaking their boundaries. So these are very real real things that we're hearing workers talk about
1: okay but that's not it's not verifiable is it verifiable Mm -hmm. uh, to question how many children there are in the sex industry now in comparison to how many minors there were working as prostitutes before the change in the law is it verifiable to question how many people have been coerced into the industry now in comparison before the changes in the law
10: this is particularly why Sway, We're fighting for full decriminalization of the industry, because it's already such a challenging place to get and uh, report information. It's so important that people on the ground, sex workers, clients, can feel safe to report any anytime we see or are experiencing. Abuse. What's what's good about Northern Ireland, where they also passed the law, is it's the only place in the world where they have baseline research about um, before this legislation came in, so we can compare it um, in the review and, and really be able to show people this has not helped us. This has made us feel less safe. This has put up barriers between us and support services. I mean, if this kind of model worked, we would... Well, uh, well the, we objective would have up up the objective is to put up barriers. The objective, Kate, is that they've been working in this the objective and so far not mm, one single person
1: but the has been objective case is to put put up barriers between you and the men who pay for sex and and there are there, there are many account. there and are ma- there, there are many no just, alternatives
10: uh, to us for work that's the problem this no
1: no viable alternatives
10: and livelihood that's correct this is work that people with little to no option tend to do. Well, do well, uh, the, the
1: the, the, the law others. changed. There
10: no the change the, the
1: change in the, the, change in the law, no Kate.
10: to address the real root causes Kate, of us engaging in the sex.
1: Kate, industry. Kate, to a large degree, the change in the law was to give people alternatives from it for from zero
10: from from
1: from, zero. from forced zero
10: alternatives from
1: zero forced problems. prostitution, Kate, as you know, zero support. and. And there are many women, there are many women listening to us today who have no alternative uh, but to continue in a relationship with a, a man, a boyfriend or a husband who's coming home diseased.
10: And uh, and what has got worse for people is that is because, like I said, there were no funds, no support services, no intention whatsoever to give people alternatives to what is work that people do when they are Often in precarious situations. Anyways, it's for this reason. Take a look, the look
1: at the situations vacant.
10: Experiencing this on a daily basis and following. There, there's
1: plenty of alternatives. Take a look at the situations different. vacant column in the newspaper. Pardon me. There's plenty of alternatives.
10: There aren't. There are a lot of reasons why people do this kind of work. Single mothers. Take a look, do
1: this look at, a look at jobs.ie. jobs.
10: ie. Students do this work. The fact is, people are, and they don't deserve to be unsafe because of it. There are people. Of, of all stripes doing this work, and they deserve to be safe. We are human beings, Michael. We're human beings, and particularly those of us who are most vulnerable need to be heard about what would make us that much safer. It's the right thing to do. Ireland is moving away from, from its shaming and hiding and speaking over people, women, who are vulnerable, the most vulnerable in society. Ireland is moving away from that. And we are in this lineage, and it is the right thing to do. We're human beings. We deserve human rights, Michael. If anybody out there, a sex worker, needs support or assistance with anything, no matter what kind of circumstance they're working in, they mm-hmm. can call us at 085-824-9305. Sex workers need to be listened to, Michael. We're explaining to you directly what would make our lives that much safer and that much better, and we need to be centred and listened to, and we need to direct these conversations. They're reviewing this law in 2020 in Ireland, and people need to talk to their TVs and say this, and people need to ask why sex workers aren't being centred in all of these discussions.
1: Because you have been, and you've been protected from prosecution. We have
10: not. Even in just you're,
1: well, you're protected from, from prosecution, aren't you? Me. Are... I'm telling you how we're not. Yes, but I'm telling you how you are. You my have been protected. To, so you, you've been protected in a way that you were not protected before. I have listened what closely to you, and you've talked over me. In fairness, more often.
10: What I'm telling you is that the reason why we have less likelihood to talk about it is because now we're afraid that cops, even if we report our attack, they will come to our doorstep. They will sit there and wait for more clients to come, so they can take away what to us is our livelihood. But you don't believe you that?
1: Hearing me, you don't believe so it's that? True, yeah, but it's true, and I'm telling not true because how many people how many people how many people have been prosecuted for purchasing sex since the law
10: There has been there was one in northern ireland there is one in the south and there are countless numbers of women who were arrested for brothel keeping even if they weren't profiting off the proceeds of each other michael i'm
1: how many men know, were how many men have been, have been prosecuted for purchasing sex since the introduction of this legislation two years ago
10: i just told you michael i I'm not sure what you're not hearing about this. I'm telling you, we have very real reasons there, direct and indirect. That people will not report; they feel safer, less safe to report now. No, Kate, Kate, and, and Kate, you're you're you're
1: you're, you're ignoring yes. my question because you said I
10: told you one in the north and one in the
1: south. Yes, but 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 so two in two years, two people have been prosecuted. What makes you think the guards are going to be sitting outside people's houses wondering if they're brothels, hoping to prosecute somebody else? They've because, no interest.
10: They've no interest. There are brothel rates going on all the time, and because we hear in the media. When people speak over us, organizations that would, that would try to fruitlessly make our industry go away, that they are encouraging Gardi to step up their surveillance of us. Well, Michael, this is a livelihood of people who yeah, are vulnerable, and we deserve rights. If
1: this is the focus, if, if this is
10: but Kate, from our Kate, survival
1: if this is the focus of the resources of Angarda Khan, they're pretty crap, aren't they? One prosecution each year.
10: I agree that um that this is not where Guardi need to be spending their resources. Historically sex workers have such a contentious relationship with Guardi and that's even more so now. That's what I'm telling you. You know, this is it is it is made things less safe for us. Everybody feels less safe. Everybody has been behaving in more precarious circumstances it's just the reality it's what we see on the ground it's what i experience as a sex worker myself on a daily basis and um you know even landlords. we hear about landlords extorting sex workers we hear about them Mm. we hear about them blackmailing them for sex these are things that are happening to actual people women uh, men and, and, no, nobody, and, and nobody would nobody condone trans trans that
1: trans or wish it, it to happen to anybody. And would... I'm
10: telling you what will help it, and mm. direction needs to be taken on that. This law has made these things worse. In 2020, we have a chance to turn it around, and we are asking that Ireland do the right thing in the lineage of caring for its people who, who are most vulnerable in society at this point, Ireland is so uh, good at doing mm. that. We're asking that we be listened to and that we decriminalise sex work.
1: Well, those who work. Thank
10: you, Michael.
1: Well, those who work with people who are trying to come out of the sex industry,
10: we do that as well.
1: Would say, would say that America, in, in order to protect, them, in order CDs, to you're talking over me again, Kate. In order to protect the vulnerable, mm-hmm. uh, you need to decriminalize prostitution and criminalize the purchasers uh, if that argument holds up and it is holding up at the moment uh, would it's you would you suggest I mean, no, that prostitution is a good job or would you uh, advise women listening to us today uh, not to go into the trade
10: michael the point is that if people are in the industry they deserve to be as safe as possible mm. that is the point we're not saying we love prostitution would you advise
1: against it we're
10: saying for those for those who are in Unfortunately, that's not the point. If people want to help vulnerable people from ending up in the sex industry, they need to focus on the issues of I think it's the point.
1: Listening to you this morning, Kate, if I was...
10: I'm telling you the things that people could focus on to prevent...
1: They could focus on all sorts of things, but if there was a woman who was considering entering the trade now and she was listening to you, I I think she'd be afraid to in case uh, of what might happen to her.
10: What she should hope is that she can... Um, consult with support services without repercussion, and that she can be as safe as possible. Mm. If we keep focusing on this as a moral agenda, we're wasting time in terms of helping the people who morally we should be most looking out for. And those are They're the children, say, this uh, is uh, what uh, and
1: the people is. who have been trafficked to this country uh, and, and told that they'd be... want
10: ...to open up channels between sex workers, clients, and Gardaí, and this that they'd
1: be working as down, nannies. Michael. They'd be working as nannies and are forced into prostitution. They're the people that these laws are designed to protect.
10: It doesn't protect us, and I'm telling you again and again why, Michael. And if people are concerned about the most vulnerable ending up in work that they don't want to be in. They need to work on single-mother services. They need to work on issues of poverty and uh, regularizing undocumented migrants, s- drug support, domestic violence. <laughs> Michael, I'm telling you that the issues to focus on, but people are meddling with our means of survival, trying to criminalize okay. clients. It Kate, puts us in harm's way.
1: All right, Kate, I have to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed. Well, I
10: hope you way. can listen more towards 2020. So okay. all your listeners... Um, This law is not decriminalisation. Sex workers are looking for full decriminalisation and that's what we'll be fighting for. And we need to be safer in 2020. Thank you. Have a nice day.
1: Thank you. Kate McGrew, sex worker and director of Sex Workers Alliance Ireland.
3: Michael, Michael Reed Reid
1: on LMFM. Now, as you've been hearing, uh, these indicative votes uh, will take place in London at about seven o'clock uh, this evening. On which way forward might be the most preferable for MPs in terms of Brexit? Neil Macdonald is uh, the chief executive officer of Isme. He's been telling me he'll be watching this as closely as anybody else. Uh,
0: I think the process. We're witnessing in london michael is much more about um mps indicating what outcomes they object least to uh so far we've we've seen westminster objecting to things without actually spelling out what would be an acceptable direction of travel for most mps so i i think the um the taking over of the order of business effectively by by the backbenchers on on the Letwin bill is a sign that MPs have just tired of this. And the only good thing I can suggest Mm. is that we're going to find out roughly what is the least unacceptable option. Um, However, I'd I'd temper your optimism a little by saying so far no one has come up with a, a plan that appears to attract more than 35-40% support and that's even among the public so Mm. I I can't share your optimism that we're (laughs) going to get to a a, a solution any time soon.
1: Okay, Uh, you'll have to forgive me for laughing at the idea that I'm optimistic uh, not even Oliver Letwin who was uh, the Prime Minister for a day and proposed uh, these indicative votes uh, take place this evening is optimistic uh, that there'll be a clear majority in favour of one of the options put forward but there is a a chance that it'll start to pave out a, a direction that Westminster might move in. There's 16 options I think that the Speaker will decide on today and uh, will whittle that down to about six or seven options and then Mrs May has her own deal which she'll be putting uh, to MPs, it would seem again tomorrow, and it's possible she'll get the support of uh, some of uh, the hardline Brexiteers, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, possibly Boris Johnson. Uh, But all of this hinges on the DUP, and from the perspective of business on this island, it seems as though the DUP may be the only soldier marching in line.
0: Possibly yes, and the the interesting thing is, and I I suppose we're reading the same tea leaves you are, uh, Michael. That the 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 ERG, the sort of the hardline European Research Group within the Tory Party, have been constantly looking over their shoulder at DUP intentions. What has been very interesting over the last couple of days is the DUP signalling their desire to go for a a longer pause now i presume that means that 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 britain would have to stand people in the european elections but at least a one-year pause would mean we were not faced with the likelihood of a crash-out brexit in the next number of weeks so to that extent at least it would appear that the dup line on a hard Brexit is softening and um, i mean let's 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 take the good when it's offered Mm. that looks like uh, it looks like uh, on the surface of it a a positive move and it would indicate that people are willing to get to some sort of financial or or, sorry some sort of sensible um, agreement in time Mm -hmm. I think it's indicative of what you saw in recent polling in Northern Ireland where the hard WTO style Brexit not alone doesn't have a majority support within Northern Ireland as a whole but it doesn't even have support within the unionist community and I think that has uh-huh. been very
1: significant. Well, DUP. that's it. Uh, the DUP might feel it's the only soldier marching in line in terms of the position it's taken on Brexit but the Irish Times poll recently would indicate that it's out of step with its constituency. Uh, farmers, business leaders uh, and uh, social groups are uh, all uh, taking a completely different position. Uh, were you surprised at all by the findings of the ESRI report. Yes, they got a lot of headlines, a a lot of people taken uh, aback by it, uh, but it it is what we've been warned for some time is coming down the line, not just south of the border, but north of the border as well.
0: Uh, Absolutely. None of that came as a surprise to us. Uh, There was... uh, And and some of that had been flagged uh, quite explicitly before. I, I think what was new about this was the fact that it was expressed in such a short, uh, in, in, in such a, an edited fashion. Mm. Uh, realistically, all the options other than standstill are negative. And that stands to reason because effectively, if you go to any form of customs arrangement, you increase uh, the cost of movement of goods across the border, even if that tariff is zero uh, because, the, because the cost of administration will rise. So it, it isn't surprising and it is why we have been saying now for some two or three years the government needs to be running surpluses now because if we're going to be faced with an increase in unemployment uh, you know our social welfare bill has not dropped even as we've do- approached unemployment rate down as low as five percent so if our unemployment rate is going to I'm not suggesting it's going to get in the next recession anywhere no. near the 16% it, it got to in uh, after the last recession. But but any sort of uptick in, in unemployment at all is going to put a, a really significant burden on the exchequer and the money isn't there to pay for it without borrowing.
1: Yeah, good deal, bad deal, delayed deal, no deal, they're all... Uh, uh, situations in which we will suffer uh, and it would seem north and south of the border the only prospect of a good outcome is that the United Kingdom decides to remain. Would that be right? I
0: if, I suppose you're taking the utopian Irish view there. I mean realistically unless something fundamental shifts in the UK body politic. Uh, I mean the, the last polling we saw suggested that a majority a, a clear majority in the uk do not want another referendum uh so i, I think the best outcome is a managed outcome uh, that looks like one of the alternative uh models that already exist like like EFTA, like the european economic area that uh, norway iceland uh, switzerland uh, or, or, or Turkey, for instance, being part of the customs union, they're all uh, outcomes that would decrease uh, the amount of burden that would be and, and cost that would be inflicted on Ireland. Um, I, they were also all options that the Brexiteers embraced before June 2016. Ironically enough, um, but for some reason, maybe it's Theresa May's red lines,
4: mm-hmm. and they,
0: they seem to have walked away from a lot of them. Um, but hopefully now uh, saner Council will take hold in Westminster and we'll have a less disruptive outcome.
1: Do you think that we are preparing for a managed exit or are we preparing for a utopian Irish exit uh, at a governmental level as well as at a local, small, medium enterprise level?
0: Well uh, despite the utterances from government i would be very surprised if if in the dusty cabinets there were not um plans for a hard wto style brexit because don't forget and as brussels is saying in in the absence of an agreement that all 27 uh, member states sign up to and and they have signed up to the withdrawal agreement and they have not signed up to anything else um in the absence of that the the Machinations in Westminster are irrelevant. Uh, uh, The UK leaves the EU on a a crash-out WTO basis. Neil
1: MacDonald, the um, Chief Executive Officer of ISME, brings our programme to its conclusion today. Our time has run out on us once again. We'll see you, God willing, tomorrow morning for our next programme at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye.